Hello, 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 everybody. What's going on? Thank you so much for joining me today for episode five of season two of Mental Dive, the podcast, the psychology of coaching, where we talk anything and everything, sports psychology and mental performance. I'm your host, Taylor Staden, a provisional mental performance consultant with the Canadian Sports Psychology Association, where I actively help athletes work on areas such as confidence, resiliency, playing more consistently, and much, much more. I am so excited to share today's interview with you all with Dr. Leisha Strawn. Dr. Strawn is both a professor and associate dean of research and graduate studies at the University of Manitoba. Coming straight from her faculty page, Dr. Strawn's research interests focus on positive youth development in sport. Specifically, she is interested in examining the experiences and various outcomes of children and youth in recreational to high-performance sport programs. Currently, Dr. Strawn is working on two SHRC-funded projects, Positive Development Sport Net, a project that will spread the work about positive development through sport around the country and exploring cultural relevancy with Indigenous youth regarding positive youth development through sport. On top of this, she is also the chair of diversity and inclusion with the Canadian Sports Psychology Association and a former world championship level athlete in baton twirling. As you listen to the podcast, you'll quickly realize that Dr. Strawn is quite the storyteller as she shares some awesome stories from her career. On top of this, we also discuss the role that having an inclusive sporting environment plays in the positive youth development of a youth athlete, foundational steps for coaches to becoming more inclusive, and much, much more. If you enjoy the interview or you have any thoughts that you'd like to share, please do reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook by searching Taylor Staten. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-D-E-N. But nevertheless, enjoy the interview. Dr. Strawn, thank you so much for joining me today for an episode of Mental Dive. How have you been? I've been doing great. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for joining. It's um, like we were talking about a bit pre-interview, the, the Olympics have been on and we've seen some incredible fets by uh, Canadian Olympians. We've seen Andre de Grasse won gold. We have the Canadian woman competing for gold in soccer tomorrow, tomorrow amidst so many other um, accomplishments. So it's it's been a fun time. Yeah, it's been so inspiring. And I know that um, people have been not sure about the Olympics this year. You know, there's a lot of, um, not controversy, but issues around the Olympics. And so, um, so I know I've been myself, I wasn't as motivated to, to watch, but all of a sudden, you know, you just hear the stories. It really is about the athletes and it reminds me of my own research, which is about young people, about the youth, and it's not about mm-hmm. anything else. And so when you hear those stories of Olympians, it's just, they're so inspiring and, um, yeah, it made me want to go work out. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, so what is your sport of choice anyways? Yeah. So my own sport, actually, my sport background is baton twirling, uh-huh. uh, which is like competitive baton twirling. It looks a lot like a mix of rhythmic gymnastics and figure skating, I guess, and, you know, mm-hmm. gymnastics and dance and the baton. So that's um, what I invested my time in, I guess, from the age of five until 23. And, um, you know, I was able to represent Canada at seven world championships and I have a couple of medals from from the world championships and you know it was a, a fantastic experience traveling all around the world and um and competing for Canada so it's it, it is really such a privilege and um and yeah so that's what where I was spending most of my time I guess in sport development that's incredible and such a unique sport too I, I would love to pick your brain more about that um an, another time I've never uh I honestly don't know much about baton twirling but the, oh. you know I love I love learning about new sports so Perfect. I'll send you a couple links after. Please do. <laughs> so one way I like to always start off the interviews is I'd 
really appreciate it if you could introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about your why, like why sports psychology, why research? Yeah, so I'm a first-generation Black Canadian uh, here on Treaty One land in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm born and raised here in Winnipeg. My parents are from a small island in the Caribbean, um, Grenada. So as a sidebar, I've been very uh, excited watching the Grenadian athletes at the Olympics as well, getting very excited about them and their performances. Just had a bronze medal this morning from Karani James. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've, um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had uh, extremely supportive parents. My parents are extremely hardworking. So, um, you know, anything I do, I really dedicate to them. And so uh, they're part of my why, for sure. Um, I think uh, coming, being part of an immigrant family, uh, we learn a lot about um, the value of work, hard work. Um, and, you know, our parents instill in us the ideas of making sure that we are working hard and making sure that we are um, trying to be better than what they were, I guess, you know, that's what I think any immigrant families want for their children is to their children to excel um, in this different context than what they grew up in. So I'm always just so inspired by their courage, um, particularly coming to Winnipeg from the Caribbean in October of 1968, never seeing snow, never experiencing cold. And so, um, you know, to come here and to stay uh, and, you know, make sure that, um, you know, my brother and I have a different experience than they did. And, and we're really fortunate that, that they did that. So other part of my why, I want to say that um, the other part of my why is just really wanting to see young people reach their potential. I think, I think as a thread for all the things that I do, uh, whether it's through my sport um, as a coach and judge, or whether it's through my research, you know, looking at positive youth development, or if it's as a volunteer in the community, I think I'm I'm really motivated by seeing kids reach their potential and also seeing young people connect to each other, but also to community and, and feeling a sense of home. I think that's just so important. And um, whether that's through environments we create through sport, or as I mentioned, through, um, through community activities or through their culture, I, I just think that's really important. So um, that always just warms my heart when I'm, you know, able to run into athletes or, um, young people who have whom I've had an opportunity to interact with um, in different contexts and when I run into them and they let me know what's going on in their lives and you know that either the sport had an impact on them or that you know something that they were involved in that maybe I was able to help um, build and develop uh, that that's had an impact on them when they remember those days that's that's to me is what's what's worth it so um, so I guess that's my why. I love that and I can totally relate to when you talk about getting to see the joy with kids faces when they're playing sport. I, I find that throughout my experiences with, you know, coaching youth sports or whether it be ice hockey or basketball, or it may be just seeing the smiles on their faces to me reminds me of how much I just loved being active and, and playing sport when I was a kid. And it kind of like selfishly makes me live vicariously through them a bit because I'm like, wow, that was a really good time when I was their age. <laughs> yes, for sure. And, you know, I think, Young people give us so much, so many opportunities to learn about ourselves as well. And, um, and we get to learn more about them, which is great. And so, you know, I, I was a physical educator for three years before going back to school uh, to do my master's and PhD. So I, you know, even remember those days of working in schools and um, my parent, my mom's a retired teacher as well. So I think uh, I you know, watched her be a teacher and the impact she made on the lives of her students. And 
I, I think I just also wanted that same feeling. And so, you know, I had that same feeling as being a physical educator, you know, watching kids grow and develop. And um, what's so fortunate when you are um, in specialty areas, such as physical education or music uh, within a school is that you have those classes every year. <laughs> you never get rid of them, uh, which is sometimes a good thing, sometimes not a good thing. But, um, you know, you, uh, you know, students that I started teaching in grade one, I taught them in grade two, and I taught them in grade three. And, you know, I, I had a chance to really um, see them grow. And, uh, and, you know, I still bump into some people sometimes. Um, I know if I'm in a store and I hear someone say Miss Strawn, I know it's someone from St. Charles, because they're the only ones who call me Miss Strawn. Uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I will, um, you know, it's, it's really cool that they feel the need to, to say hi and find out what's going on with their lives and, you know, how they've just grown and developed and uh, sometimes how their little faces at age eight look the same when they're 29. It's uh, very, very interesting, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I think that's a privilege and, um, you know, to me, that's a huge responsibility. I've always seen it as a, a great responsibility to be able to have any type of impact in the lives of young people. And, um, and I take that very seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you must be doing something right if they feel the need to say hi to you after, you know, that many years, right? So a bit of a yeah. pat on the back for you as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, 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 very, it's very cool to be yeah. able to. Some of them have been in my classes now as a, as a professor, which is also very wow. strange. But uh, amazing. a couple years ago, I had a fourth year sports psychology class and I looked on the class list and of right there, there is one of the students and I was thinking, nah, it can't be the same person. And <laughs> As soon as she walked in, you know, uh, it was a small fourth year class, so it was nowhere yeah. to hide really. And as soon as she walked in, I just saw her little face. I was like, oh my goodness, your, your little face looks the same like you did in grade three. It's crazy. Amazing. But, uh, she was like, hi, Miss Strawn. She's like, should I call you Miss Strawn or Dr. Strawn? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but I said, whichever, because I know what you're used to, but it's, it was strange, but very cool at the same time. Love that. Love that. Very unique experience, so to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Dr. Strawn, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your role as the chair of the Diversity Inclusion Committee on the CSPA? Yeah, so uh, this has been a fairly new role. Uh, we know from after the murder of George Floyd that um, a lot of organizations were, were forced to look at um, their composition and also, uh, you know, kind of reevaluate their values and think about what, um, what they wanna to do to make things better. So I'm very fortunate that uh, CSPA did reach out to me and uh, you know, invited me to um, think about chairing uh, a committee. And so it is really new. I feel like I'm still learning about exactly what the job entails. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, but right now I've been taking the lead from uh, a fantastic colleague, Dr. Tina Chen, here at the University of Manitoba, and she's been actually leading the EDI um, committee for Skate Canada, and they are really doing some wonderful things um, in terms of attacking this, uh, you know, looking at equity and diversity and inclusion uh, within their own organization. So I feel like I've been holding on to her coattails a little bit um, and uh, asking her for a lot of um, advice as uh, we both try to navigate what this actually means to chair committees like this. Um, so right now, I feel like I've just been responsible to help um, practitioners learn a little bit more about 
how to make sport more inclusive and more positive. And I've thought about it in three phases. So we've worked on phase one this year, which is an education phase. I think we can't just jump into changing anything without being properly educated. And, um, you know, six months isn't enough to educate. <laughs> I think there's just so many things to um, unpack and understand, but I think it's enough to sort of spark, spark an interest and, and make people think um, more deeply about what they're doing with more intentionality. So we've had this um, first phase of education where we've had six different talks related to equity, diversity, inclusion. So um, everything about talking about systemic racism within sport, looking at um, the Asian hate within sport, understanding a little bit more about LGBTQS2 uh, issues within sport um, and other cultures for black coaches was one as well. So, uh, so that's been a really great opportunity to, to learn. And we have, more learning to do, of course, but listening to these experts has really been amazing and uh, that's been great. So now we're kind of into phase two where this summer we're looking at just putting to try to put together a committee with some intentionality as well to make sure we have representation and uh, which is a challenge because the organization itself isn't as diverse. So, um, so trying to find um, representation is a little bit difficult, but we're gonna do the best we can. And, uh, and then I think it's then trying to think of ideas and action. It, anything that we, we're not acting on uh, is not gonna be productive. So we have to think about what are some small steps we can start with? What are some initiatives? What are some things that we want to really think about in terms of mental performance consultants um, and sports psychologists and having them understand more about who they're working with and, uh, and issues around um, who they're working with. We know that in our profession, it's a lot about building trust. It's a lot about building relationships and we have to be more understanding and open and um, have a little bit more education behind us in order to do that. My colleague here at the U of M, um, Dr. Heather McCray, does a lot of work with indigenous achievement. And I always pull from her ideas that it's not hard, it's hard work, but it's also heart work. And it's uh, things that mean a lot to us, mean a lot to people. And so we have to make sure that we honor that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I'm hearing is this, so you have this three kind of stage process where you're starting with education, then you yeah. want to go into the forming of a committee. And then from there, you want to think of actionable steps. And I find that last stage really interesting because I think there's been a lot of discussion but not so much follow-up action so it's like we have this information but how can we actually use it and, and apply it and that's absolutely. one of the sorry I just said absolutely yeah and and that's one of the big areas I wanted to get, get into with you today so you know we've talked about how you're an expert when it comes to positive youth development and as well as your, your expertise with diversity diversity rather and inclusion so what impact do you think an inclusive sporting environment can play in the, in the development of a youth athlete? There's a lot of, a lot of ways. And um, I know you mentioned speaking to Dr. Cote earlier in another podcast, which I would encourage people to go and listen to because he's fantastic. But I think um, looking at the four C's and he might've mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned the four C's, but 
in my own research, looking at youth development, one thing that has always captured my attention are the four C's and understanding how we're building the four C's in young people. So those four C's are confidence, competence, connection, and character. And when we're thinking about building inclusive sport environments, I think we do need to think about the four C's and how we can use those four C's of positive youth development within the sport context in order to help build these inclusive environments. So when we think about confidence, we wanna you know, think about learning about each other and also sharing experiences. We learn so much during stories um, and telling stories and uh, you know, indigenous um, people and indigenous ways of knowing has taught us that the importance of storytelling. And so I think learning and sharing um, to build understanding will actually help to build some confidence in young people as well. When we look at competence, we're not only looking at physical skills, which is what we think about right away. When we think about competence in sport, we also wanna think about how psychologically competent they are. Um, you know, where are they in terms of understanding their place um, in, in terms of building their own psychosocial competence. Then looking at connections, we really wanna think about how to make sport meaningful. And I think not just with teammates, but also within communities as well. Uh, you know, we have a responsibility that way. I know just a quick story uh, in terms of connection, if I think of inclusive environments, one thing that, you know, came to my mind was, um, you know, in my, I've been coaching now for 25 years. I were a little bit over 25 years, but my club just celebrated 25 years this year. Congratulations. And thank you. Welcome. And in one of those years, I remember having a Christmas party where we had all the kids come over to one of the coaches' homes and, you know, we played some games, did some things, and we were waiting for parents to come pick up their children. And there was one young girl who was this little probably five or six at the time, a little blonde haired girl. It's just so cute. And she just like came and crawled up on my lap. I was kind of sitting there and she just came crawled up on my lap. It's <laughs> just sitting on my lap. And the funny thing is I didn't coach her. She wasn't one of my own athletes. She was um, living a little bit outside of the city. And we had a coach who was doing some outreach about in a town about 20 minutes outside the city. But she sat and she, I noticed during the party, she was kind of staring at me and you know, how kids stare at you. They're, they're not, um, they don't try to cover it up. They just like literally stare at you. Yeah. And she's came climbed up on my lap and she was just looking at me and I was like, can I help you? And she's, <laughs> she said, um, she's like looking at my hand and stuff like that. And she was just like, how come the outside of your hand is dark and the inside of your hand is light? And I thought, that's really interesting. And, you know, people immediately go, <gasps> my gosh, what is she going to say, you know? And I just said, yeah, it's a very good question. I actually hadn't really <laughs> thought too much about that, you know, but I guess, you know, I guess I'm, you know, the way my hands are maybe like, you know, the sun kind of sees more of the outside of my hands and the rest of my body, you know, than the inside. And, you know, she was just generally curious. And when her mom came, someone had mentioned that she asked that and her mom was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. She asked you about, you know, what you look like. And but in her mom said, admittedly, you know, I think you're the first black person she's ever seen. <laughs> and I thought that was so interesting because they grew up in the small community that just didn't have a lot of diversity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought, wow. And I think about that a lot, you know, when I'm interacting with young people that 
you know, in terms of building connection, maybe I'm the only black person that they might be able to have a relationship with in terms of being a coach athlete and being able to talk to me. You know, sometimes there's not a, you know, a lot of, there's more diversity now, but maybe back then there wasn't um, as many in classrooms or kids didn't have very diverse classrooms and they might not have had uh, particularly a black leader. And we know that's still lacking a lot. So, so having somebody who's black in front of them and teaching them, they might not have had that experience. So I think, um, you know, for me, I think about that when I think about building connection and inclusivity is um, the responsibility of me as a black woman being in front of them as well. And that, uh, and even in a university context, I've had a lot of students come up and say, you know, I've never had black teacher all through K to grade 12. And, and then now in university, you're the first sort of black person I've had in front of the classroom. And uh, that to me is extremely telling. And I think there's, again, something about sharing my experiences and building connection that I think is important. Uh, and the last thing is just um, thinking about character. And um, when we think about inclusive sport environments, we want to give uh, athletes a place to feel safe and also a place where they can speak up. And, uh, you know, I think that's becoming more and more hopefully common is, uh, mm. is kids speaking up about what they're seeing in their sport environment and also telling us when we're doing things wrong and, um, and when we have to rethink uh, some of the language that we use or when we're rethinking some of the practices that we've been doing. I, 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 I'm very hopeful that there's a crop of young people who are going to be <laughs> holding us accountable. I know that for myself, I went through my own school experience never learning at all anything about Indigenous histories or Indigenous culture, ways of knowing. And, you know, now there needs to be more, but we definitely have a you know, group of kids coming through where they have learned a little bit, you know, they've learned a little bit about the medicine wheel or about the directions and, um, and things that they are, I think, more versed in and will learn more as they're going through their education. And so we're kind of needing to be at their level now, I think. And, and catch up and understand um, a little bit more. So I think with young people and building those inclusive environments, it's really important to revisit those four C's and really think about what they look like in terms of inclusion. Yeah, thank thank you for sharing that, and and as well for the stories. It's always it's always great when you can connect a, a theory or concept with with the story. Yes. And so you mentioned the four C's, and I jotted them down as you're as you're speaking. So we have confidence, competence connections and character. Yes. And particularly when you mentioned character and you talked about um, creating an inclusive environment, I feel like, and, and this is coming from, from, from my perspective as, as, as a white person, I, I feel like having, having an inclusive environment would allow maybe somebody who is a minority in that context feel more comfortable to speak up, right? Because like sometimes it, they might feel as if they're going against the green and they don't want, they don't want to be um, punished for that. But if you create an environment with inclusion where people's voices are valued and, and not um, lack of a better term diminished, yes, then that will allow them to feel more comfortable and thrive in those environments. Absolutely. And, you know, I also think that if I'm going to tell a huge story, but, you know, growing up myself and again, Growing up as an immigrant child, you're, you always, I, for me, I was always thinking about, you know, um, that I need to do things better. You know, that was always the, the, uh, the theme for, for me and my family and Caribbean 
he, my friends who are all Caribbean was always like, we need to do better. You know, we need to know that, you know, we're at a disadvantage as black people and, you know, we need to um, uh, try to be better so that, you know, we, we can stand out, you know, um, good isn't enough. We have to, if, you know, white people are good, we need to be great. And if they're great, then we need to be exceptional, right? So in order to stand out. And, um, and so I think understanding that I think is really uh, important for coaches to know. I think it's important for um, other, other young people uh, to know as well. You know, I, I, inclusivity, I think just also has a lot about, you know, having people be authentic and having people be who they are. And so um, I, I think sport can really, they spend so much time in sport, young people. And so I think we have a responsibility to make sure that we are learning more about these and that we can try to deliver um, more environments like that. I love that. And I love how you mentioned authenticity, mm-hmm. because for me, I remember still to this day, if I'm ever feeling stressed out or maybe worked up or overworked, whatever it may be, sport is kind of my outlet right? It was when I was younger and still is now different, (laughs) different way, but it still is. And so when you talk about authenticity, where my mind went was I was thinking if, if you foster an inclusive environment, it allows children to have that outlet where they can be themselves and where they can be authentic. So I really, really love that you brought that up. I think that's a great point. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I just think that's a key. And I think in any environment where we develop youth, we want to encourage that. I also um, run this group. We now are in our 13th season of this group, but um, a group called the Nancy School for the Performing Arts. And it's all about teaching kids about African and Caribbean culture, but through the arts, we use arts as a platform. So, you know, through learning about dance, through learning about theater, learning about music and, um, and performing and all those types of things. And I, I know even just doing that for 13 years, and watching kids go through that this program, some who've now been with us for 10 years already, which is crazy, seeing them develop that pride in their culture, pride in who they are, understanding a lot about, um, a little bit more, I guess, about who they are. I have learned so much about them. I'm really fortunate that I have some incredible friends and other team leaders who um, know a lot more about, you know, Black Canadian history particularly, but, um, you know, uh, you know, just, just know a lot more about Black history, period. And, uh, and so I've learned a lot myself being part of this group, but I think the kids also just learned about having more pride in who they are and, um, and learning about who they are as they navigate these spaces where, you know, some of them might be the only one in a classroom or, um, you know, I mean, talking about Black History Month, you know, we had a four, one of the 14-year-olds say, you know, oh, my school hasn't been doing anything for Black History Month, but I think next year, I want to try to do something like that warms my heart because I'm like, how can we help you? <laughs> how can we help you? So, yeah. we can, you know, um, help you feel a little more connected to your own school as well, but also, you know, um, have your teachers and students learn a little bit more about who you are, you know, and a little bit more about your background. Because uh, that's, again, bringing your authentic self to school and not feeling like you need to be um, something else. Um, I know for myself, I was the only one in many different Contexts, as you can imagine, in baton twirling, not a lot of black people in baton, uh, you know, um, but also in school, you know, um, grad school, uh, you know, I, I myself only had, I think, one black teacher growing up, one in, um, in, in high school, 
And uh, so, you know, I think those experiences, you know, I think made me really, um, I don't always say think about blending in, but you do just kind of want to be part of the group, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, and not stand out as much. But, um, you know, as I've gotten older, and I don't know about wiser, but as I've gotten older, I really thought a lot more about um, how important it is to, to stand out and, and that, you know, I'm already going to stand out. Right. So, so it's, I can't hide who I am, what I look like. Uh, so if I'm going to stand out, what are some things that I can do that are positive, you know, and that will really um, help to make things better. And I think um, uh, particularly since last June uh, and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, that's been a lot of things I've been thinking about. I've been a lot of different panels sort of talking about this exact thing and um, and the importance of not trying to blend in, um, the importance of being who I am and uh, speaking up. And so, um, and the young people really, in this and Nancy group really give me that strength to think about doing that because I, I think about doing that for them, right? Not for myself, but to make their futures and their environments better than they were um, when I was going through. Yes, absolutely. And, and like you mentioned, you're, you're inspiring young leaders, right? Like you mentioned the one student who wants to do something for Black History Month for their school when their school isn't um, doing anything, right? And so I'm sure that that as well just kind of gives you a bit of a boost and a reminder of, you know, why you do what you do and, um, and, and how special it is for you to help spread this, these messages and, and get youth involved because youth really are our future. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, one other quick story is um, maybe we were three or four years into a Nancy and we were kind of going through a phase where we were looking to recruit more people. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have a lot of students and I was showing up on Saturdays and sometimes no one would show up or I was showing up on Saturdays and one or two kids would be there. And I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, what can we do? You know, and I was kind of getting frustrated with it. And I remember thinking that maybe like this is kind of the end of the road <laughs> or maybe we need to do something different. And one of the participants who's now just graduated from high school this year, which is crazy to me, but um, you know, she's no longer in, um, in a Nancy, but she was with us for, I think nine years. And I think we won her second year in our group. And I was sitting there feeling sorry for myself. And she was like nine or eight. And she came over and said, um, Miss Leisha, um, I can I tell you something. And I said, sure. And she's, said, well, for school, we have to do a project on folklore, folk tales and folklores or something like that in grade four. And um, she decided to choose a Nancy. So a Nancy itself is a, a character in Caribbean folk tales and, and West African oh, folk tales. Okay. That's often in the form of a spider. And you can find them in libraries and Nancy tales or Nancy stories. And um, they're kind of like morality stories. You know, they... Nancy's always cunning. He always is trying to get himself and he always gets in trouble and, <laughs> and tries to take the shortcut and figure out ways to get what he wants. And it always bites him, you know, in the bum. And then he has to find the, find the meaning behind it. And what's the story? What did I learn from this thing? So, um, so we had been teaching the kids and sometimes reading them in Nancy stories, short Nancy stories at the end of every practice and that kind of stuff. And she said, oh, I think I'm going to choose a Nancy for my folklore and fable. And I think I started to cry. <laughs> she was probably like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I started to cry. I was like, you are? Oh 
much. Like, that's that was enough. I told her, and to this day, I always say, Talia, like, you were the one that kept the Nancy going because I was ready to throw in the towel, you know, two weeks after that, had you not said that. But, you know, like, the fact that she had been, you know, thinking about how she can stand out and not just do Greek gods and Greek mythology, but was really mm-hmm. thinking about what does it mean for me and what is that in my culture? And I learned about this in Nancy. And now I've done all this research on him and I created my own little Nancy story. And, you know, she showed me the project and I was just like, oh my God, that's beautiful. She's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> just a project, Miss Lisa, relax. But, you know, those, those little things are just so important. And again, things that are our, our Black children and youth here, you know, in Canada, you know, might not get they just don't get that in the system itself. You don't learn enough about black history in the system. So, you know, they have to think about how they can infuse it. And I know for myself, when I was going through high school, I was writing papers all the time on black Canadians and roads to equality and the underground railroad. And, you know, I, and not for any reason, I wasn't like a huge activist. I think I just was always thinking about like, what does this mean for me in this assignment? Um, And so I was always picking the things that I wanted to learn about in terms of black history very naturally. So I was, I was just really excited to, to hear that. So, yeah. Yeah. Great story. And, and again, coming back, like the, the inspiration and I guess the injection rather of inspiration from youth is just so incredible. Uh, sometimes you can get one last question on the day is what do you believe are some foundational steps that coaches can take in creating a more inclusive environment for their team? I think coaches are the key. Coaches to me are the key factor in developing youth sport environments. I know that from coaching that I can create the environment that I think is best for my athletes and, um, and create um, and inspire the rest of the coaches as well and the coaching staff to buy into the philosophy. So, so for me, I'm fortunate that, you know, I've been training and um, working in positive youth development for a little while. So I know a little bit about some frameworks and, I'm not saying it has to be that formal, but, um, you know, as soon as I came back to Winnipeg after finishing my PhD and thought more intentionally about, okay, how do we think about creating these spaces? was going back to those positive youth development frameworks and then thinking about how they work within our club. So, um, so I think, you know, coaches need to understand um, that we have to learn about players uh, and we have a responsibility to learn more about them, learn more about, um, you know, if we have different cultures on our team, understanding that, understanding what, um, what, what they value and how that, um, and not just making people assimilate into what we have, but thinking about how we can work together. Um, I think it's creating a positive environment. We set the tone, uh, little things like being there early and <laughs> setting up early, um, Having those casual communications, I, I always laugh with my own athletes that, you know, they remember, and you might remember this in terms of being involved in sport, but they remember little ridiculous stories that happened <laughs> at competitions or things that mm-hmm. happened in practice that were funny. Like they constantly tell me about, you know, I have so many funny stories with them, but, you know, times where I've like tried to teach them something and I've like fallen down or something's happened mm-hmm. that's funny. And they remember those stories from like nine, 10, 12 years ago. And I always tell them, you can remember that, but you can't remember the correction I just gave you like 10 minutes ago. Like what's going on? So, um, so that, that's yeah. all 
frustrating for me as a coach, but you know, it tells us what they value and what they remember. You know, it is about experiences. That's what they take away from sport. And we obviously want skill. We want people to feel competent and feel skilled and that they left with physical skills. But in the end, it's those little things. So, you know, I've really made a point of, you know, being at the gym early, even 15, 20 minutes early uh, to be there to greet them when they come and, and just have casual, <laughs> casual conversations, you know, just how school, you know, were you watching on TV? Like what's going on, you know? And, um, and so we have a lot of in jokes and funny things that happen uh, all the time. Um, so I, I love, I love that we've created that environment as coaches, but um, that's, it's just so important to create that positive um, connection. You know, we know kids want to have fun, but part of, according to the literature, part of having fun is also having positive coaches <laughs> and yeah. coaches who know how to be friendly and how to communicate, how to compliment them, you know, um, how to be funny, you know, and of course you want coaches who are knowledgeable and know what they're talking about and know about the sport, but most of you know the research points to the importance of these soft skills in order to keep kids engaged in sports. So mm -hmm. uh, we need to spend more time in coaching courses, learning about how to do that and not only learning about how to do a lesson plan and how to do drills and skills. And of course that's important, but you know, how do we keep kids engaged and um, those who aren't natural at it, how do we help them? Uh, so myself, I have a research um, program called Project Score. It's projectscore.ca. And uh, it's a free resource for coaches to teach them about that. It's based on the four C's and teaches coaches about how to um, develop the four C's more in their, in their sport program. So that's something to check out. Um, the other thing is just connecting more with team, connecting more, having opportunities for them to connect as much as possible. Um, and not only opportunities for our athletes to connect, but also for parents to connect. You know, we forget in youth sport that parents are key. I think as coaches, we try not to talk to parents sometimes. <laughs> we don't want to uh, yeah. talk to parents at sometimes because it's challenge. It is a challenge and it's very intimidating for young coaches. I definitely have had to grow a backbone uh, dealing with parents, you know, um, and, you know, starting off as a young coach at 18 and 19 and, you know, having parents back then, you know, uh, try to change, you know, the environment or say, now nah, I know you shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, uh, and my mom would say to me when I was upset about it and complaining about it, she'd say, who knows more, who has been in the sport longer, you or them? And I'd say, uh, me, and she'd be like, okay, we'll act like it, is what she would say. <laughs> like, okay, you know, yeah. but I had to grow. And now like, I'm, it's, it's, it's fine, right? I can kind of set what I want, but um, I think, uh, you know, one example we do in our club to connect more to community, since we are a small club and we can't really do a lot. Um, when we have our little recital at the end of the year, we've been doing it for a cause the last maybe 15 years or so, 16 years. We pick a cause in the community. Often I'll, you know, run it by my senior athletes mostly and just ask them, you know, like, what, you know, what's a cause or what's something that we can support this year? Um, and so instead of people buying tickets to come to a recital, we ask them to bring something. So, um, so for an example, we children's hospital, for example, um, might uh, collect books, for example, for uh, some fundraisers they have. So we, you know, have our recital where we have people, okay, bring a book. 
you know, um, that you want to donate and that's your entry into the recital. Or um, again, it's, it's sometimes, uh, you know, will lend itself to something that's happened in our club. So, you know, if someone's been sick or, you know, we've had some parents um, half die from cancer, for example. So they feel very affiliated to doing something for cancer. And so they'll say, okay, um, what does cancer care need or what's something that we can do um, or people can just do a donation when they come and all the money goes to, to the cancer care foundation. So, um, so I think that helps them to feel a little more connected to community and that what they're doing in sport can make a difference. It might, it might, we're, we're small. It's not going to be like thousands of dollars, but even if we raise, you know, $300 or $400 that that can go a long way and, and makes them feel like what they're doing is more than them. It's not just about them performing, but like, who are you doing it for? And going, circling back to your first question about your why, you know, it has them really identify what that why is and, um, and do that. And yeah. And the last thing in terms of including parents, I think um, there are very intentional ways of including parents. Um, another idea I've done that I want to get back to once we're back into, into doing sport more regularly is, uh, you know, at a provincials, one time I had parents um, select the name of someone who wasn't their child <laughs> to, uh, to sort of take care of for the day. I remember and, that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, like, you know, so they, so I had them meet at the beginning while the kids were warming up and stuff. And they said, okay, put your hand in this envelope, you know, pick out a name that's not your child. And uh, during the, t- during the day, you know, it could be a couple times during the day um, in, in passing when you're passing them or, you know, making a, a point of watching their performances and, you know, giving them, just, you know, telling them, hey, great job. You know, I really watched your, I watched your routine and how oh, you've really improved a lot. And, you know, and I think um, parents really like that. I think it gave them a chance to not just focus on their child, but think about, again, the village that we're all raising kids. This doesn't, it's not just you, it's not just the coaches, but we're all, we all have a responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think the kids respond differently too when it's not coming from their parents <laughs> as well. Uh, you know, they, they yeah. like from other parents they don't always want to hear from their parent and and they react differently right so yeah. you know if they, if they don't do a great job and their parents like well that was really good they'll be like no it's not and they'll be really snarly maybe to a parent but to another parent they're not they'll say yeah mm, it wasn't too great like I I know I can do better and they're just like yeah you can do I know you can do better I can't wait to watch you next time and yeah. that kind of softens them a little bit as well and um hmm. and also gets them to practice how it is to respond to a different person. You'll respond to a different adult um, uh, and learning respect and, and those types of things. So, um, so it's a lot of examples. I know it's very long-winded uh, answer, but there's, I feel like there's so many things that we can do different in youth sport. And if we just try something, you know, it doesn't have to be really big. You know, the Project Score website might give coaches some ideas, but really it's just about trying something that's a little different that's going to mm-hmm. push you a little bit out of your comfort zone and um but that's nothing to do with skill you know let me let's just not think about skill development that's going to happen so how can we make the other things happen how can we make um mm-hmm. you know the the positive skills that we want kids to get from sports how we how can we make that happen and uh, that idea of intentionality is so important yeah and th- thank you so much for the explanation um so First things first, I will include the link to Project Score in the description of the podcast for easy access so everybody can check it out. But I feel like that last um, that last activity you gave where you pick a different name of that, there has to be a research project in there somewhere. Like, 
whether it's like looking at like um, the, the psychological reactions of children, how it affects confidence. There has to be something because that's yeah, really, really interesting. Even yeah. parents, like, how did that make you feel? I know just anecdotally, like the parents who did that day, they were like, oh, we kind of we kind of like that. You know, I would even ask some of them were even asking their, you know, extra buddy child. They're asking them, you know, do you want me to get you some lunch? Do you want some water? Like, you know, like they really liked, they like having something to do, you know, and they want to be helpful. And so how can we help them be, be helpful? And, you know, it can be in anything. It can be hockey. It can be in soccer, you know, don't cheer for your child today. You are, you know, that child is your child today during the game. And they are going to absolutely act differently towards that child than, uh, than they would towards their own. I think for sure, you know, awesome. and be a lot more encouraging. Um, you know, even that role play, there's even role play activities that um, we suggest in Project Score where, you know, you can have parents come to a practice and have parents scrimmage on the field and have kids be off the field and um, you'll see how kids react first because kids are pretty harsh on their parents when they're playing, you know, and some yeah. of them you know, will be like, Dad, why don't you get the ball or go to, you know, and bringing them both groups in and asking, you know, the parents, well, what did you react to? What did you hear when you were out there? Uh, Mm -hmm. And what would you rather hear when you're out there? You know, and then having them go back out and having the kids then change to that positive, encouraging, you know, fun language, being like, you'll get it next time, you know, good try, nice effort. Uh, And that shows the parents also, like, they get to feel what it feels like. Um, Mm -hmm. And that empathy, building that empathy and compassion is so important as well. So, uh, so there's a lot of different, a lot of different activities, but we uh. just have to think of how we can do things differently because what we're doing, it isn't working. You know, when kids are dropping out of sport and leaving sport and um, not having good um, experiences in sport, it, it, it comes down to how we're structuring it ourselves. And we have the power to structure what's going on in clubs you know maybe not provincial organizations or national organizations yet but in our own homes and our own clubs we, we have the power to do that mm-hmm. yeah i love that and i'm i'm definitely going to be stealing that uh that activity from you someday and i'll let you know how it goes but if if i if i do but so dr strawn again thank you so much for taking the time today i i really appreciate it and like i said i'll include the link to the website in the description so everybody can ch- check out uh, project score thank you so much for having me Awesome. Thank you for coming on. What an absolute pleasure. Another big shout out goes out to Dr. Leisha Strawn for joining me for today's episode of Mental Dive, the podcast. If anybody out there would be interested in learning more about how I could help you, somebody you know, or your team work on their mental game, then please do reach out. I'll include all my contact information in the description of the podcast. It'll have my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email, website, you name it. As well, it'll also include a direct booking link into my calendar where you can book a 30-minute, no-strings-attached session with me to learn more about how I could potentially help you reach your goals through mental performance consulting. Anyways, everybody, enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll see you next Wednesday when I bring on Dr. Cassidy Preston. That's right, the first ever recurring guest. He's back to talk about how coaches can integrate the sports psychological concepts into their coaching practices. I'll see you then.